this is Steve with Life Worth Living. I have a question for you today for you to think about. What are you full of? Are you full of worry? Are you full of uh, pride? Are you full of fear? Are you full of distraction? Let me tell you what. The way to live is to be filled full of God. Wouldn't it be great if you could empty yourself completely and make room so that God is the only thing that's inside of you. Well, today we're going to be looking at Acts 2 and really thinking about how you can get so full of God that there's nothing left inside of you to trip you up or to disturb you or to keep you distracted. So listen in and be blessed. Uh, because we're going to be studying Acts, uh, which is a book of the Bible, by the way. I don't want to insult any, anybody's intelligence, but... Acts is the fifth book of the New Testament, and do you want to just stop and think, what, what does Acts mean? You act a certain way, right? Acts were uh, things that happened, uh, acts of the Holy Spirit of God after Jesus was taken up to heaven, and it gives us a picture of how your life could be If you get really close to God, if you get really close to God and have faith the way that God wants you to have faith, every one of you and every one of us, I'll include me in this, every one of us is capable of doing the things that we see in Acts. Every one of us. All we need is the Holy Spirit in our lives. So the first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are about Jesus and his disciples From Acts forward, the rest of the New Testament is about the Holy Spirit and the church. Now, you're in church, and you got to ask yourself, am I just in church, or am I part of the church? Am I part of the church? And more specifically, are you part of this church? Because coming just on Sunday mornings and sitting in, in here and listening, that's a good start. But God has more for you than just that. He has a lot more for you than just that, and I'm here to encourage you to move forward with God in 2023. So um, let's let's just summarize super briefly. We started off our study in Acts last Sunday. We're going to be several weeks on this. It's going to be intriguing, exciting, encouraging, adventurous to, to walk through this. And you know what? There's many more stories to be written about the acts of the Holy Spirit through your life. Many, many more stories to be written, but we see the start of them here in Acts. So last week we started in Acts 1, and we, we, we thought about, you know what? Remember in the Old Testament how the Israelites were taken out of Egypt, went through the desert, and ended up in the Promised Land. Ended up in the Promised Land. And it was a, a land flowing with milk and honey. It was a a land of abundance. It was a land of prosperity. And you know what? God has a promised land for you. And can I tell you what? You're not there yet. If you think you're in the promised land, you could be a saint, a 90 years old, live for Jesus your whole life, and be up here on this pedestal, so to speak, and I can tell you, you're still not in the promised land. So don't get in the mentality, I'm there and no one else is there. No, None of us have arrived there. If we had, we would know that we had arrived. God has a promised land for you, and that promised land is sketched out in the book of Acts. 
And if you look at your life and measure it with a book of, of Acts, you can certainly determine, I haven't arrived yet. I haven't arrived yet, but I want to get there. And you can get there, and God wants you to get there, so there's no reason why you can't get to your promised land in this lifetime. And it's all found in the book of Acts of what it looks like. The other thing that we covered very quickly is we started talking briefly about the Holy Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit of God. And we started talking about the Trinity. And I'm not going to rehash everything that we spoke of. You can listen to that recording. But you know what? The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. He is, not it is, He is a part of God, a person of the Godhead, and he's here today with you and me. And in many of us, and I hope in all of us, he's inside of us. He's inside of us. You can't get any closer than that to be inside. He's in your heart. The Holy Spirit is in your heart. So let's continue to where we left off. We're going to race through this first part and then jump into Acts chapter 2. But Acts chapter 1 uh, in verse 9, and we're going to throw it up here on the screen. You can follow along on the screen, or you can read on your, in your Bibles. But it says, And when they had said these things, okay, when he had said these things, this is Jesus, he's being lifted up. He's just about to be lifted up off the earth after 40 days uh, of, of his resurrected life. They were looking on, and it says that Jesus was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. Now, these disciples had been with Jesus for three solid years, night and day, 24-7, and all of a sudden, their hero, their champion, disappears (laughs) right in front of their eyes. All right, everything they'd banked on, everything they'd hoped on was taken up into heaven. And all of a sudden they see two men uh, standing by them in white robes. And they say, men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking up into heaven? Well, that's what I would have been doing. I just follow you. I'll never forget. We were driving in Florida and we literally saw one of, I guess it was one of Elon Musk's rockets go. What do you think I did? I looked at it until it disappeared. (laughs) You know, that's what you would do. You see the Son of God, the Son of Man taken up into heaven. You stare because that's the last place you saw him. But they're staring here, and so these angels ask him, why are you looking up into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken um, from you into heaven, will come back the same way you saw him go into heaven. And after we finish in Acts, we're going to be studying the book of Revelations, and we're going to be studying the second coming of Jesus, because the same way that he was taken up into heaven, one of these days he's coming back, and you can bank on that. It is happening, and I don't know about you. I want to be ready when he comes back. I want to be ready, and so for the first time here in three years, these disciples don't have the physical presence of Jesus anymore. By all appearances, they're completely alone, Can you imagine how they felt? I mean, when you read the Bible, you have to feel what was felt at that time. You have to experience what was going on. You can't just read it and print it and then then just blow it off. You got to feel what was felt. All right, so they returned back to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is the Mount of Olives, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath's day journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room. They apparently had some place they were meeting, that had a second story, and they went to this upper room 
probably kind of a loft, I picture it, is a place where they, where they met. And it names off the people who were there, the, the disciples there. And all of these with one accord, what does that mean? In unity, togetherness, in singleness of purpose, you know what they started doing? They started praying. <laughs> That's what you do. That's what Christians do. They pray. You know what? If I had Jesus right here beside me, I would talk to him. I would listen to him. The fact of the matter, his physical presence isn't here as I can see it, touch and feel it. But you know what I can do? I can talk to him through in the spiritual means of prayer. When you pray, God is listening to you. And part of, big part of, the biggest part of prayer is listening to him. The majority of the time when the disciples were Jesus with Jesus, you know what they were doing? They were listening to him. And we need to do the same thing with the spirit of God because we don't have Jesus physically here. We need to listen to the spirit of God. God speaks to you every day of your life, multiple times throughout the day, are you listening to the Spirit of God? You say, well, Steve, I, I can't hear with my ear. I, how, what do you mean listen to the Spirit of God? Well, there's a part of you that's spiritual as well. And you can begin to listen to the Spirit of God talking to you, warning you, stopping you, telling you to move forward, telling you to watch maybe your eating habits because you're not headed in the right direction. Did you know God is concerned about every aspect of your life and his spirit is talking to you about everything maybe it's an attitude you might be a mean person sometimes and the spirit of God is telling you I want you to start being a kinder person you might have an addiction and God's telling you hey whoa 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 we need to pull back and you need to fast from your addiction so the Holy Spirit's talking to you and I guarantee you every single one of you have heard the voice of God at some point in your life You've heard him, and, and hopefully you've, you've obeyed him. So these guys devote themselves to prayer because that's what they saw Jesus doing with, their father, with his father, and they said, we're going to do the same thing. That's our, that's our portal to where Jesus is, is prayer. All right? So for the first time, they're praying without Jesus beside them. It must have been a weird unusual experience, nothing they were used to. And I want you to think about this. Have you ever had a mom that prayed for you? Or maybe a dad that prayed for you? Or, or a friend that prayed for you? And then through some tragedy, some circumstance, that person is removed from your life, and all of a sudden, you're the one that has to pray. All of a sudden, you're the one that's responsible. And all of a sudden, you, you take that responsibility serious, and you start praying the way that you should start praying. I'm telling you, don't wait for something like that to happen. Start getting in touch with God yourself. Yourself. Start talking to the Holy Spirit of God because he's listening. He's with you and he can even be in you. If you will invite the Lord Jesus Christ in your heart, his spirit will come into your mind, into your soul, into what we call your heart or your inner person and he starts to change you. Now look at this. We're just going to look at this briefly. In John 14, verses 16 through 18, Jesus speaks of the Holy Spirit while he was still on earth. And he said, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate. Another, why another advocate? Well, did you know that Jesus is your advocate? He's on your side. 
He doesn't have the whistle in his mouth waiting to blow you, to foul you out. No, he's the coach that's on your side. He's your advocate. He says, I'm going to give you another advocate. And he was speaking of his departure. When Jesus departed, he was going to send another advocate, who is the Holy Spirit, what, to help you? He was going to uh, be with you forever, the spirit of truth. He was going to show you when there's lies that are coming into your mind. He was the spirit of truth that was going to show you the truth instead of the lies. The world can't accept him, by the way, because you know what? They can't see him. <laughs> and neither can you, and that's frustrating sometimes. But I've learned I would rather have a spiritual sense than a physical sense. I enjoy the spiritual sense of God's presence with me, his power with me, his voice spoken into my soul. I prefer that now more than seeing, feeling, and touching because it's so much more satisfying and fulfilling. But it says you will know him. You will know him, boy. He will live with you, and he will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. And I'm sure as the disciples were walking back to Jerusalem, these words were ringing in their ears, these, these memories of what Jesus said. He said, I'm not going to leave you as an orphan. I'm going to send this advocate to be with you. And if you study the meaning of this advocate in the original text, in the, the original language of Greek, which is what the New Testament was written in, there's strong connotations, there's strong meanings here of a comforter, an advocate. Okay, if you were in, in, in you're getting sued by somebody, and all of a sudden, somehow, someway, you got the top attorney in Texas to represent you, wouldn't you feel more comfortable? Because here's your advocate. He's going to defend you or she's going to defend you. And this advocate comes in. They're going to comfort you. They're going to say, you know what? We got this covered. I know how to argue this case. You don't have to worry a bit about it. I'm going to comfort you. I'm going to counsel you also. Whenever we sit down there in front of the judge, I'm going to tell you to shush up. Don't say anything. I will say everything on your behalf. I'm going to counsel you. I'm going to help you through this process. And you know what? I'm going to be a close companion to you throughout this whole process. That's what the Holy Spirit does for you. He's an ad he advocates for you. And, and I've mentioned, you know, an advocate is a defender. You know what? When somebody is defending you, you don't have to defend yourself anymore. I remember a situation at work where I thought I was going to get attacked by somebody, and eventually I did. And you know what I started doing? I started printing out every email associated with this interaction that I'd had with this individual. And by the time I'd printed out all my emails, I had a stack about that thick right there. And you know what? I had it there on my desk. I was ready to to defend myself. And you know what happened? The Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, Steve, I'm going to defend you. I want you to throw all those emails away. And I did. I took them. I said, all right, Holy Spirit, you're going to defend me. I threw them away. And that's in fact what he did. He defended me. The Holy Spirit is your advocate. He defends you. He comforts you. What does comfort mean? I love it. I studied this word comfort. And you know what it really physically means? It means relief. A comfort is a relief. It's a relief from stress. It's a relief from pressure. And so often, this is what we think. We may not say it in these many words, but we, we say, God, give me some relief from my suffering. 
And that's what comfort is. He comes and comforts you in the midst of your suffering and brings a level of relief that you experience. Counselor is a source of wisdom. It's a source of knowledge that you didn't have before. A lot of times we'll go out and read books. I like to go into, into Barnes & Noble and I, I go over to the business section because those are the kind of books that I like to read. And I start looking. I'm looking for a title of something that I didn't know before. And, and then I start reading through that and reading through that book, look through the table of contents to see if there's some wisdom that I can get that I didn't have before on leadership, on business, or, or whatever kind of situation. Guess what? The Holy Spirit has some wisdom that you don't know about. That's, the, that's what the Holy Spirit does. He's a counselor. He's a helper. He'll help you in your weakness. And I love this. He's close to you. He's so close that he envelops you. He's not just on one side and you have these three sides exposed. He envelops you. In other words, he's got you covered every angle above you, below you. You are 100% covered by the closeness of the Holy Spirit of God. And his closeness is a fierce closeness. He doesn't like it when you get hurt. He doesn't like it when somebody has it in for you. He's fierce in his protection of you. He has a very protective nature for the children of God. Don't you want to be a child of God? If you had that kind of protection, sign me up. I want to be a child of God so that I can have that closeness of the advocate with me. So I'm not going to read the rest of Acts 1. I encourage you to do it. Hopefully you did it last week. But the rest of Acts 1 describes how Judas, remember Judas, the one that betrayed Jesus? Judas committed suicide. He actually bought a, a plot of land, and then unfortunately he committed suicide. And, and so there was left of the 12 apostles, there was a space open. And so the rest of Acts 1 describes how they filled that empty position, if you will, that Jesus had created. But let's, let's move on now to Acts 2. See, we're going to cover the whole book of Acts and, and maybe in some level of detail, a lot of detail in some cases and less detail in others. But let me kind of kick off Acts 2 with this. In Judges 6.34, there's, uh, there's this man named Gideon. Have you ever heard of Gideon before? All right, Gideon was this lowest of the low in his clan in Israel, and an angel came and said, Gideon, you're a mighty warrior. I want you to go save the Israelites out of the hand of Midian. Midian were these people who'd come and just destroyed the land of Israel. And so it says of Gideon that the spirit of the Lord came on Gideon, and he became a mighty warrior. And in fact, he delivered Israel from the hand of Midian. But my dad, a couple of Wednesday nights ago, maybe it was this last Wednesday night, reminded us of the, the Hebrew translation of this scripture here. In fact, it's described as this. The spirit of the Lord clothed himself with Gideon. Just let that sink in for a second. The spirit of the Lord took Gideon and wrapped Gideon around him as a spirit of God. And Gideon became a mighty warrior. Now, this has really been impacting me ever since my dad said this. The spirit of the Lord wants to clothe himself with you. Now, there's two ways of looking at this. You can say on one side, I'm full of God. Or you can say, 
God has wrapped himself with me. If you look at it, the one way I'm full of God, the, the, the arrow is still pointed towards me. Look at me. I'm full of God. But whenever you say God has wrapped himself with me, the protagonist of this, the, the focus of this is God, not me. I'm just, I'm just part. I'm just along for the ride. You see what I'm saying? And so is that biblical still? Does God still want to wrap himself with you? Well, in 2 Corinthians 4, 7, it speaks of us, you and me, as jars of clay, all right, in which the all-surpassing power of God can be placed in us. We're just jars of clay. I've got this picture in my mind. When we go to heaven, those powerful CEOs and those dictators and those famous you know, singers and the super wealthy they're going to be stripped of all of that, and there's going to be this sea of just jars of clay. And the lowest person in India, the lowest caste, who is just spit upon and thoughtless, is going to be an equal with the most famous person to have ever lived on earth. Just jars of clay. Everything else just stripped out of us. Talents, gifts, all right? Now, we can live that way and say, God, I'm just an empty jar. Fill me with all of you, all that you are. In fact, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 3.16, you know what? We're the temple of the Holy Spirit. We're just an empty vessel that's waiting to be filled with God. I don't know about you. I want to I get all the junk out of this jar of clay so there's as much space as possible for God's Spirit to fill me as much as possible. And I hope that's your, I hope that's your desire as well. Get rid of the junk that's inside of you and make room for the Holy Spirit to utterly and completely fill you to overflowing. We're the temple of God. We're jars of clay. In fact, in Galatians 2.20, it says, I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. I no longer live. Get rid of your old self, your hang-ups, your thoughts, your ideas, your notions. Get rid of all that junk and let God fill you with his glory, with his goodness, with his power. So with this in mind, let's, let's read through Acts, Acts 2 of being clothed, God clothing himself with you. Acts 2 says that on the day of Pentecost, and here I'm just going to read nine verses straight through, and then we're going to come back and unpack them, so to speak. So it says, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there was a sound like the blowing of a violent wind that came from heaven. And filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of those in that upper room. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. In other words, the Spirit clothed himself with them. And they began to speak in other tongues or in other languages as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem. God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. What? How was it that people from every nation were in Jerusalem during the time of Pentecost? Well, we're going to find out here in just a second. 
they heard this sound and a crowd came together in in bewilderment because each of them heard their own language being spoken. So the languages that were being spoken as enabled by the Holy Spirit were natural, physical languages of those around the world. All right. And so they heard it and understood what they were saying. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all of these men, they're just Galileans, they're local Hebrews here. Then how is it that each of us hears our own native language? There's Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontius, Asia, Phrygia, maybe I'm pronouncing that right, Pamphylia, Egypt, and parts of Libya near Cyrene. Visitors from Rome. You see people from all over, Jews and Jewish converts alike, Christians and Arabs. And they were all hearing them declare the wonders of God in their own languages or in their own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked each other, what does this mean? What's going on in here? But some of them made fun and said, hey, these guys are just drunk. All right. So let's look at these 12 or 13 verses. This is all we're going to cover today. And and look at this concept of God clothing himself with us. All right. But first, let's talk about the about Pentecost, Passover and the Pentecost. Okay, so Passover was a a national holiday. All right. It was more than just a day. It was a week where they celebrated the Passover. And to this day, I remember I was in New York City and I was actually working in the Empire State Building up on the 74th floor for one week. I was sent from El Paso to do some work there. And I was looking at a company there that was owned by two Jewish guys. Very, very well-to-do, very amazing guys. And I was sitting in their boardroom and... One of the owners was sitting there with, with me, and the other owner came in. And he says, hey, did you celebrate the Passover? And I was like, wow, my ears perked up. I wanted to kind of hear, because this was new to me. And yeah, he said, I, I went to Jerusalem and celebrated the Passover. I was like, wow, this is interesting. So to this day, Jews celebrate the Passover. So what is this Passover? What is it all about? Well, it was started and established by God, when the when the Jews were pulled out of out of Egypt, all right, before they were pulled out, God spoke to Moses and said, "Here's what I want you to do. I want every family that's coming out of Egypt, I want them to take a perfect lamb, a lamb without defect, and I want you to slaughter the lamb, and I want you to take the blood, and I want you to put it on the doorpost of your home, all right? And then I want you to take that lamb and I want you to roast it." Prepare a meal, but I want you to do this meal differently. I want you to be clothed and ready to leave, all right? He said, have your cloak, your staff in hand, your cloak tucked into your belt, and I want you to eat this meal in haste. Why? Because I'm sending one last plague on Egypt. This last plague is going to take the firstborn of every person and every animal in Egypt, except for those who've taken the blood and put it on the doorpost. And I'm going to send an angel of death because the Egyptians would not let the Hebrews go. Send an angel of death. And everywhere that angel saw the blood of the doorpost, he passed over that home. It was passed over. And God said, from this point forward, I want you to celebrate 
this event of being passed over and, and redeemed from disaster. Have you ever had disaster facing you? Just like, a, you know, in a matter of days, something bad is going to happen to me. The doctor's giving me a bad report. My checkbook's giving me a bad report. I'm facing a cliff date when something bad is going to happen. And God redeemed you from disaster. That's what happened with this Passover. Okay, so God established this Passover. And did you know that Jesus was sacrificed during the week of the Passover? Do you realize that? He had the Last Supper with his disciples, and that very night he was betrayed, and then he, he was crucified over the whole night. He was tortured, and then the next morning he was crucified, and he died. And he's referred to as the spotless lamb of God whose blood was shed on Passover weeks so that you could be redeemed from disastrous life. You don't have to have a disastrous life. You don't have to be an addict under a bridge suffering. You don't have to live a miserable life. You don't have to live a distracted life. The spotless lamb of God was sacrificed on Passover to redeem you from a disastrous life. You say, well, Steve's too late. I've already had some disasters in my life. It's not too late for the future to be bright for you. It's not too late. Well, this was, this was celebrated year after year, but as the Israelites were pulled into the desert, God met with Moses and he established some other holidays as well, some other weeks to celebrate. And one of them was called the Feast of Weeks. Later on in Greek was called Pentecost. Same, same thing, and you can read about it. Here in Exodus 34, it said to celebrate this Feast of Weeks. All right, and this was fifth on the fiftieth day after the Passover. You see, the the Passover is celebrated uh, fifty days before, and and it was during this this feast of weeks was celebrated at the end of the harvest or in the midst of harvest of the wheat harvest. There was a barley harvest, there was a grape harvest, but there was a wheat harvest, and God said, "You know what? You need to celebrate." Now, let me ask you, when you have a get a bonus from work, if you ever get a bonus or a windfall, or don't you go out and celebrate? We do. <laughs> if we get some extra money, man, we might go eat a nice meal, go do something fun. You celebrate. Well, that's what God told these Israelites. Hey, the Feast of Weeks is at the end of your, at your wheat harvest. Go celebrate for a week. And I want you to do it in a specific way. I want you to go to where I am at, to where my temple is, and gather together there in mass and just have a wonderful time. Worship the Lord your God and celebrate Pentecost or the Feast of Weeks. In fact, Pentecost literally means the 50th, 50 days, the 50th day from, uh, from the Passover. That's why all these people were in Jerusalem on Pentecost. From all over the world, they were coming to celebrate the holiday of Pentecost there in Jerusalem as they had been trained and raised to do. Was this an accident? No. God knew, I'm going to pour out my spirit in Jerusalem, and there's going to be men and women from all over the world, and they're going to get touched by my spirit, and then they're going to spread 
all back into the world. Isn't that awesome? Aren't the strategies of God amazing how they work? Absolutely amazing. So that kind of explains Pentecost. Let's look at a couple of other words that we read in this brief scripture in Acts 2. It says, they were all together. They were all together. There was one purpose that they had in mind. And I don't even think they knew except that They had been told by Jesus, hey, go back into Jerusalem and wait for the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which is going to come to you in a few days. You're going to receive power, guys, whenever you receive the Holy Spirit. And you are going to be in my witnesses, both here in Jerusalem, in Judea, and all the parts of the world. That's all they knew. They'd never experienced it before. They didn't probably know what Jesus was talking about. But they did what Jesus told them to do. They went back and waited. And sure enough, they were all together. One heartbeat. No mindset of superiority, if I'm pronouncing that right. All right? One didn't feel higher than the other. One didn't feel lower than the other. It wasn't a beauty contest. They were just there seeking the Lord. It's tragic to me how many churches... You, you got to look right. You got to smell right. You got to feel right. You got you to have it all together. Not so in the kingdom of heaven. Not so. There's not one person that's better than the other. God has us here with one heartbeat, one purpose. And I'll tell you what, there's no, there was no spiritual laziness. It's interesting to me that Jesus appeared to 500 people. It's, it's spoken of in Corinthians. 500 people. Uh, Jesus appeared to after his death and resurrection. And then we find out a little bit later on, there was only 120 people here. Only 120 people. What happened to the other 380 people? I don't know. I'm not going to judge them. I'm not going to criticize them. But I'll tell you what, avoid spiritual laziness. Don't get spiritually lazy. Don't not read your Bible. Don't not pray. Don't not Come to church and gather together to be encouraged. Don't not do those things. Do them. Don't be spiritually lazy. And I'll tell you what, I've got a picture of these people in this upper room. As soon as they finished praying, I imagine they didn't just scurry off without saying goodbye. I imagine they didn't, didn't, you know, interact with one another. I'll tell you what, the Bible tells us, don't forsake the gathering of yourselves together. So, As soon as this is over, don't just run out the door. (laughs) Get to know somebody. Be friends with somebody. Come together. Enjoy each other's company. All right? That's part of being part of the church, part of the family of believers. Okay? They were all together. But then they heard the sound of a blowing, violent wind, tongues of fire. This is fantastic stuff, like fantastic, like, woo, out there, crazy unbelievable things, but tongues of fire came down, filled with the Holy Spirit. They spoke in different languages as the Spirit enabled them to. Now, let's, let's just talk about this a little bit. In, in John 3, verses 5 through 8, this, this Pharisee, this religious lawyer, comes to Jesus at night secretly to talk to Jesus to find out a little bit more of what Jesus was doing and who he was and asks him some questions. And Jesus answers Nicodemus. He says, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of heaven unless they're born first of water. That means you're born naturally. 
and then born a second time of the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at me saying, you must be born again, born a second time, born of the Spirit. The wind blows wherever it pleases. Now, let me tell you what, as you learn more and more about the Spirit, you read the, 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 the Bible about the Holy Spirit, you find out the, the Spirit is like a wind. <laughs> he blows. He moves. Yeah, and we're going to find out in, in creation, he hovered over the waters. He, he brooded. He moved over the waters. He's moving over your life in unusual ways and things that you can't even imagine or think of or conjure up. God is blowing or moving in your life. Now, what I say is let's open up the windows of this ash-filled life, this dirty life, and let the Spirit blow out all the garbage that's in you. Blow it out. Blow out the leaves. Blow out the twigs. Blow out the trash. Blow out the smell. Let the Holy Spirit blow in your life and cleanse you and clean you out and give you a freshness that you've been wanting for a long time. The Holy Spirit blew in that place. It says that the Spirit, the wind blows wherever it pleases, pleases. You might hear it, but you can't tell where it's coming from and where it's going. And the Holy Spirit does that. My life has not been a linear life. My life has been a zigzaggy life. It hasn't yours? You didn't, meet, you didn't expect to go this way, but all of a sudden you're down here and over there and up there. And Moses in the, in the desert led the Israelites all over the place. It wasn't Moses, it was God. And if you look at Jesus' itinerary throughout his life, he was zigzagging all over the place as well. The Holy Spirit is going to take you on some unusual journeys if you'll let him. Don't think that you can plan out your life and have it all figured out. I, for one, can't see past my nose. I don't know about you. Let the Holy Spirit take you to where he needs you to go. I'll tell you, life isn't going to make sense until it's over. <laughs> so don't try to do that. Let the Holy Spirit blow you, tear, take you, carry you to where you need to go and stop trying to make things happen yourself. Let him do it. In Psalms 104, verse 4, uh, the psalmist says, God makes winds of his messengers and flames of fire of his servants. The Holy Spirit wants to set you on fire for Jesus. Why did little flames, what's the meaning of fire? I tell you, God wants to light a fire under you <laughs> and in you to start doing what you need to do. And most of us know exactly what that is. But we're spiritually lazy. Oh, maybe tomorrow. I said, I said, you know, day after tomorrow, I'll start. No, start this afternoon as soon as you walk out those doors doing what God has told you to do. And stop with excuses. I have excuses. You have excuses. Stop it already. And let's start doing what God has called us to do. The time is short. Time is short. He wants to set us on fire for Jesus. He wants to put a passion in you for heavenly purposes, not earthly purposes. 
Crave the divine. Stop craving materialism and security and promotion and visibility. Stop craving that stuff and start craving what comes from heaven. God wants to fill you with the Holy Spirit of God. I'm no longer seeking for God to clothe me. I want to clothe God. I want the Spirit of God to say, I'm going to clothe myself with Steve Norman. And you know what? That's a totally different way of thinking, a paradigm shift, a different way of looking at things is, God, clothe me, you know, clothe yourself with me. I want to be used mightily of God, less of me, in fact, none of me, and all of God in me. Well, here's what we'll end with today. It's kind of an abrupt, weird stop, but it is what it is. <laughs> but look at this. Does God still intend to to fill people with his Holy Spirit? Could we potentially see tongues of fire on our heads and be speaking in other languages the wonders of God? Well, is God powerful still? Do you think God quit being powerful? Uh, do you think he doesn't have a plan and purpose, miraculous, supernatural plan and purpose for our lives anymore? Did, did all of this stop with the Bible? Well, it's interesting. We're going to read more of this next week. But in Acts 2.39, what happens is Peter gets up and he starts explaining to the crowd that's congregated around this building that they're in. He starts speaking to them and explaining what's going on. But one of the things that he says, he says, this promise, this promise of the Holy Spirit is for you, (laughs) not just us. It's for you guys down there, all you people that are some of us, you're making fun of us and others, you're, you're serious. It's for you. And then he goes on, he says, it's for your children. That means the next generation. And then he says, all right, I'm going to make this blanket statement for all the rest of the world, the rest of the time on this world. He says, it's for all who are far off, not only in distance, but in time, and for all whom the Lord our God will call. It's for every Christian that gives their heart to the Lord God wants to fill you with his Holy Spirit. It's nothing to be scared about. It's nothing weird. It's nothing crazy. It's powerful, though. It's life-changing, though. It gives you purpose like you've never had before. You start shaking off the bad stuff and embracing the good stuff. You need to be filled with the Holy Spirit of God. You need to be filled with the Holy Spirit of God. So let me tell you about my experiences. I've had multiple experiences of being filled with the Holy Spirit of God. The first one was when I was 11 years old. I was in somewhat of a Christian youth camp. It was for missionaries' kids because my parents were missionaries to Spain. I was probably as tall as an 11-year-old. I don't know, probably about this tall. And uh, these, we had a prayer time, all right? And so these... these uh, Tall teenage kids got around me. They decided they were going to pray for me. And I remember, I was like, I can't even breathe. They're all towering over me, and like there was no space. And they were praying like super loud and putting their hands on me. And I'll tell you what, they did this for 45 minutes. Here's this 11 year old, when are you guys going to be done? (laughs) But I tell you what, after 45 minutes, the Holy Spirit filled me. He filled me. He filled me so strong. My little frame, I, I fell to the ground, all right? The power of God hit me. I fell to the ground. And I started speaking in other tongues, in a different language. To this day, I have no idea what, what language it was. I couldn't have made this stuff up. There's no way. 
I, I wanted out of there. So I, it wasn't like I was <laughs> trying to, trying to you know, fit in or anything. I wanted to get outside. But the Holy Spirit had different plans for me that night. And he filled me to overflowing. Unbelievable experience. I laid there, I don't know how long, just speaking in tongues, crying, worshiping God like I'd never worshiped him before. Never, ever worshiped. And to this day, I, I remember that. Well, there's been many other times when I've been praying alone, when I've been praying in church at some kind of event, whatever it was, and being what I call refilled with the Holy Spirit. Refilled to overflowing. You see, we leak. I heard this from my, my dad, I think. All right, we're, we're a, a glass, so to speak, our life is. And you know what happens? We leak. And the spirit kind of empties out of us through life circumstances, situations, worries that we have. But we need to be refilled with the spirit of God. Be refilled with the spirit of God. And, I, you know, after I was 11, I got away from the Lord. Uh, I started doing things I shouldn't have been doing. Things that to this day I'm ashamed of. Mean. I was a mean kid, man. I know people know me now probably don't believe it. But I was vicious, man. I'd get a friend. And then if I thought I could get a better friend, I would totally ditch this friend and go with that friend. I was like stepping my way up in high school. I was just a jerk. And I've often thought, well, God, you fill me. But it didn't seem to have much of a lasting result because look what I did for the next several years. And once the Lord spoke to me and said, Steve, if I hadn't filled you back then, you don't know where you would have ended up at. The Holy Spirit of God protects you from bad decisions, bad situations. And, and it's worthwhile to be filled with the Holy Spirit of God. So tonight, I invite you to be here at 6 o'clock. We're going to be seeking the infilling by the Spirit of God in, in, in our lives. We're going to be seeking the infilling. You see, we're never going to fully accomplish God's purpose in our life until we have the Holy Spirit active, powerful, overflowing in our lives. Never. Never. You could have a church of 6,000, 10,000, 20,000, or 20, and nothing big is going to happen the way God wants it until his people are filled with his purpose. Until God has clothed himself with his people, his people have said, I am sick of my old self. Get rid of me. God, fill my life. Clothe yourself with, with me, and let's go, God. Let's go do powerful and mighty things. God wants to do that. He wants to do that here in 2023. I don't think this is a, has to be way far in the future. This can be tonight. This can be now. This can be you seeking the Lord and him filling you. Does that make sense? Do you have a little bit of a desire to be filled with God? It doesn't have to be weird. I'm telling you what. I'll just end with this story. It gets on my last nerve <laughs> when people take Christianity and try to make it weird and obnoxious. We had this guy come. Never forget it. It affected several of us, me included. We had this guy at our, uh, at our other church come, and, you know, at the end of service, he came, and I, I think what he was saying was, go, go, go. He was shouting so loud, I can't even remember what he was saying. I couldn't even hear what he was saying, but he had come down, and go, 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 go. He's, like, pressing like this, and I was like, this is not accomplishing anything. <laughs> it's not accomplishing anything. Being filled with the Holy Spirit is a wonderful awesome experience and it doesn't have to be weird or unusual or or 
you know, just for an emotional experience. It's real, it's genuine, and when it comes from God, it's good. It's always good. Does that make sense? All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you, God. Lord, um, we believe the whole Bible. Lord, I'm not going to go and take this verse because I like it and then throw that verse out because I don't like it or don't understand it. Lord, God, we're full gospel. Lord, the whole gospel, the whole Bible, Lord Jesus. If one part of it isn't true, then the whole part of it isn't true either. That's just foolish, Lord God. And it's foolish also to say that God did things in the past that he's not willing to do in the present. Lord, you don't, we, don't, we don't shrink God down to our experience. No, our experience needs to mushroom up into the experience that's described in the Bible. Lord, the full experience uh, of God, the full experience of the, of the Bible, the full experience of the promises of God in our lives, Lord Jesus. I thank you, God. Lord, I pray that you would begin to clothe yourself with us. Lord, that all that's in us is just Jesus. Just Jesus, Lord. And there's this thin exterior veneer that's my face, my frame, Lord, who I am. But everything else inside of me and my inner man, Lord, is just Jesus. Is just the Spirit of God living in me.